Worldwide parent coach and conscious educator, Sue DeCaro, is on a mission to revitalize the joy in parenting. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a podcast designed to help parents all over the world create deeper connections with themselves and their children while overcoming life's daily parenting challenges. Listen in if you want to bring more laughter, love, and enjoyment to your home life. Welcome to Conscious Parents Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Stu DeCaro. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce you to my special guest, Kelly Doyle Bailey. Before we dive into this rich conversation together, let me tell you a little bit about Kelly. She is the founder of Calm Cool Kids Educate TM and co-founder of the Children's Collaboration Center. She brings to her work as a children's author over 30 years of experience working in Maine public schools and in the private sector as a certified speech and language pathologist. She is a certified mindfulness meditation educator and SEL specialist. She has a deep knowledge and understanding of the neurodevelopmental sequences of humans birth to 100, and she is passionate about assisting all educators, support staff, families, and community partners in their understanding of reactive and responsive learning profiles of children who have experienced birth or environmental trauma. Kelly, welcome. You are an amazing gift in this world with all that you are doing. Uh, Thank you so much, Sue. It's my delight, pleasure, honor to be here with you and your listeners. Well, let's dive in. And I'd love to hear what initially brought you into this work. I think sometimes our backstory can be very interesting for our listeners to understand why you do what you do. So can you give us a little overview of of why you do this work? I absolutely can. And I I know that you and I had I've had a conversation um, about our own children and the children we're blessed to, to be a part of their lives um, being just great teachers to us. And I had two amazing um, teachers, my own children, um, Hannah and Doyle Bailey. They're adults now, but when they came into the world, I was not prepared um, to really understand what they needed and, and how they needed it. And, you know, Hannah came in uh, to the world walking and talking and, and all things, you know, ready, all developmental milestones being met just as you would expect them to. And she was really a joy and a delight um, to, to parent and to watch grow. And when she was about two and a half, I gave birth to her little baby brother, um, Doyle, and he was a little guy who suffered some very significant birth trauma and ended up um, in the NICU and having some pretty significant feeding issues, which um, really impacted his neurodevelopmental sequences. And as a speech pathologist, pretty uh, trained pretty traditionally, I was not equipped to really know what he needed. Um, and it really led me down a very different path of discovery and figuring out how to help him integrate and to be a thriving human being. So that's where the impetus for this, you know, came from my own children. And then of course, um, as I helped uh, with my husband learn to um, integrate and regulate our little boy, um, it really led me to different paths professionally. um, And it, um, it led to this work today. So that's kind of the backstory. And the, the books that, that I have here are really, you know, loosely framed around 
um, my children. Doyle was a reactive learner. He was hardwired for dysregulation and um, birth trauma is real. And we don't always know after we've um, given birth to a baby who has had significant trauma. Nobody gave me a handbook. Nobody said, okay, this is, here are the things that are, you know, are, are going to be before you. And here are the things that you're going to need to know in order to help your, your little one um, really thrive. So that's, I, uh, I was just led to uh, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to highlight a few things that you said. What a beautiful story. And our, our kids, as you beautifully said, and I say this, I think at least every day, our kids are our greatest teachers if we are focusing on the teachings. Sometimes right. we get lost in, you know, the moment to moment, day to day activities or, you know, responsibilities or life as we know it. And we don't get a chance to look at what our children are teaching us. And it's, you know, and I hate these words, but I'm going to use them anyway. It's the quote, good, bad, and ugly that they yeah. teach us about ourselves and what we show up with in our yeah. own parenting. And so, you know, I think the other thing that you said that's just brilliant is that we're not always equipped to know what our kids need. Actually, are we ever equipped when they come into this world to know, you know, what, what to do? I can remember coming home from the hospital being like, okay, now what? The baby's crying. Like, where's the nurse? You know, right. help somebody rescue me. Right. And so there is no handbook. And every single child that comes into this world has their own blueprint. And many of them, as, as you said, you know, trauma is very powerful and something that is much more frequent than we give onus to or credit to, that there's a lot of trauma that kids experience at birth or after birth and it's overlooked sometimes because we're not aware. Yeah. I think I think that we're doing a better job um highlighting and understanding adverse childhood experiences. Um but I, I still think that we've got a long way to go uh before we really know what's best to do about it. And honoring it and recognizing it is one thing, but really stepping into that work of um, helping to mentor. And, you know, we don't just outgrow trauma. Um, and, and we know that helping children understand responsivity to stimuli in the world is, is so important. But in order for us to do that, we have to understand that as well. And I know just from my own path with um, my very reactive child, and having, you know, a history myself of reactivity, um, that I had to really understand how important my own emotional intelligence was, and that I needed to be tuned in or dialed in to my um, understanding my becoming more self aware, and really understanding those emotions and how those emotions then drive my ability to cope and manage stressful situations. And I recognized very early on, in my parenting with with my children that if I was regulated and calm and cool, then I could help co-regulate them. And that really, um, I think it, it, it was a, a direction that I, I dove deeply into because it also impacted my work as a, as a clinician. Mm. So that's beautiful. And, you know, we are the models for our children. And so, you know, how, how beautifully you just shared, you know, we have to regulate ourselves before we can actually help them to learn and understand, you know, that regulation process and, right. and teach them or, or get the support that we might need outside the home to help them. But it, it does start with us. And I think that's where the children hold up a mirror to us as their behavior may seem overwhelming or, you know, unmanageable. What are we showing right. up with? You know, how are we right. modeling these things first to help 
them learn, you know, good strategies and techniques. Right. Right. I mean, you know, once upon a time, we were all children and um, we were, you know, raised with buffers and security or or uh, levels of that, or maybe we weren't. Um, and we had to, you know, really just do everything that we could to survive. And, and we're built to do that, right? We're built to hardwired to to survive and, and hardwired really to, to make meaningful connections with people. We're not born into into nothing. We're born into a family but if we we don't have that that buffer, then we'll you know we'll find it some way somehow. And and oftentimes it's you know really through trial and error and maladaptive behaviors. And and one important thing that I had to learn as a as a mom um, of a child who you know experienced pretty significant birth trauma is that it wasn't my fault, and that I mm. I was really wrapped up in a lot of guilt and, and shame, um, and, and really self-imposed and sometimes imposed by, you know, other people out there who just don't understand, you know, maybe why my, my child isn't sitting or crawling or walking, you know, on the timelines that, you know, we, we expect neurotypical kiddos to, to do. So there was a, a lot of my own growth and it came from really having a, a just pure acceptance that Doyle was doing the best he could you know, right mm -hmm. in that moment and recognizing that all of the behaviors that he was showing was really meant to, to help me know that he needed something. And I, I think my best parenting, you know, comes from really stepping back and recognizing that those behaviors are not meant to, to put me over the edge. They're meant to teach me and show me something um, and that they aren't because of my own shortcomings. Um, but nobody tells us that, right? We, we, or I didn't know that, um, that that was something I had to learn. Yes, you're, you're, you're so spot on. Nobody says this isn't your fault or nobody says you're doing the best you can. And so is your child, right? right? So, you know, sometimes we look and think because there is so much pressure outside of us, conditioning, cultural pressures that we see, right. you know, pressures from the neighbor, our best friends. It's all around us if we listen to it, if we listen to the noise outside of ourselves. And right. so much needs to be done to tune that noise out, in my opinion, and perhaps you agree, in, in the sense that we take it on. I mean, I can remember when I was struggling, a friend of mine said, you should do it this way over yeah. and over again. And you're not, yeah. you know, you're not raising her properly. You're not this or you're not that. Yeah. And I finally cut off from that person because right. I was like, okay, right. this is not helpful. She has no idea. And no one right. knows, no one knows. You know, it's like people saying you have a perfect marriage and maybe you right. do, maybe you don't, but they're not behind the closed doors to see day in and day out what life is like. And I think the same thing is true with our children. And every day, us as parents, we show up to do the very best job we can in right. that day, in that moment. And so, you know, I think when we all look back, Fault is not something that helps anybody, right? It doesn't serve to say, this was my fault. This wasn't my fault. It's really, what can I do now to help my right. child grow? Right. And I think the thing that, that was super helpful for me was, you know, to be able to have connections with people who had experienced some of these, you know, similar things with their children. And, be, you know, there's something very beautiful and magical when, you can support one another from a real place of knowing. Um, and, and, you know, those words should, or um, you must, all of those things. Um, for me, it just made me dig deeper into that blame and shame place 
Um, and what I really needed to do was look at my son and his and his needs through a lens of curiosity and interest mm-hmm. and hope. Um, and and you have to learn how to do that. And I think some of some of my um, some of my practice was to really get quiet because I think the mind can 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 you know really get jumbled up in all of those thinkings that I am not enough or I didn't do enough, or I didn't protect him. I didn't give birth the right way if I had only, you know, and we right. couldn't control, we can't control any of that. And so it really led me to um, investigating brain science and mind science in a, in a real purposeful way. Um, and I, through that research and, and studying, um, it really led me to mindfulness and it led me to understanding the reactive brain and understanding that all people, when they flip their lids, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel's hand brain mm-hmm. model and, and knowing that, oh, this is not m- really maybe even me. Uh, it's not my critical thinking brain's way of doing this. This is my reactive brain. This is my protecting brain. And so that, you know, having Doyle was one of the biggest life gifts to me and, 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 and knowing that, you know, um, if I could help him understand that he was so much more than the sum of his emotions, his frustration, that he was feeling frustrated, he wasn't frustrated, you know, and there was something beautiful about putting that, um, that language into the work I did as a speech pathologist with children, um, especially kids who were very reactive in their approach to language and communication and socialization and having them understand um, that you have a, a protecting brain and it's beautiful and you have a thinking brain and that's beautiful and when we are calm and cool and integrated and safe and loved we can access all those beautiful you know parts of our our thinking brain but when we're flipping our lids or just a little overwhelmed or a lot the amygdala is going to take over and that's what it's supposed to do and mm-hmm. so having teaching children and teaching my own children that was a real a real turning point for kids, um, especially children that I work with who were, you know, categorized in school from an IEP perspective as emotionally disturbed, um, mm. and and really helping children understand that you have you have beautiful abilities to be calm and cool, and that meant that I had to approach them through a, a place of love and care and connection, which is not always what we do in in public schools and. Um, you know, when, when the urgency is on expectations of performance. So that's kind of the backstory of how I got to, um, you know, creating, creating these books and the work that I've been doing in the world. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'd love to hear when you step into the school, I know you support, um, you know, not just students, but parents and caretakers and, and teachers. So share a little bit with our listeners what you're bringing to them to help also help sure. our young every day, because they, of course, you know, especially parents, but, you know, teachers also are models for children each and every day. They sure are. And, um, you know, I can, I can tell you that some of this work really started uh, 15 years ago, but the last 10 years um, I've really been working um, as a consultant in, in schools in Maine and across the state really um, to help educators understand um, and and their students to understand what the stress brain looks like and mm-hmm. um, going into schools and actually 
teaching children, like I said, Dr. Dan Siegel's hand brain model that, you know, the prefrontal cortex is right here. They can really, it's a tangible thing that, you know, right touching your forehead, it's right there. And when we can uh, be integrated, when we can use both sides of our brain, left and right, um, and we can cross that midline smoothly. So helping teachers understand simple things like noticing your kids on purpose um, mm -hmm. and not being busy when you come through, the, when children are coming through the door, actually standing. The most important thing that, that I think the message that, that is critical for educators and, and, and parents and anybody working with youth is to really see them and to see them through the lens of, of value and, and again, seeing children through um, curiosity and interest. And that means I have to cultivate that in myself. So the work that I do with adults is to really help them uh, dig into their own emotional intelligence and look at how well do you um, recognize your emotions? And do you notice when you're feeling a little upset or a little, you know, a little sad? And do you, do you take a moment to, to give yourself some space with that? Or do you just tuck your head down and plow through? And a lot of the work that I do with, with, with that um, is really um, to help adults recognize how important just taking a breath is. Um, mm -hmm. to, to notice when your heart is pounding, to notice when your, your face is red. Children notice that, you know, and, and instead of reacting really sharing this with students. So some of the work that I used to do in classrooms would, would be to say, oh, it's really noisy in here. And I would cover my ears and bring my, you know, my voice down low. And it really is making me feel a little bit anxious. I can feel it in my heart. I'm wondering, does anybody else feel that way too? And then I would teach them something called the mindful me too. It was just a little hand signal. Um, and kids would start doing that. And, you know, it was just a little shift. Uh, teachers would say, I can't believe that kids are responding to that. Whereas before, maybe a teacher would do the clap, 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 or lights on and off and, you know, bring the voice up. And we know that, um, you know, I know, and people who study the brain and, and the mind in a neurodevelopmental way, we know that if you have dysregulated kids in your classroom, that only serves to heighten their dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And if you have regulated kids in your classroom, meaning that they, you know, deal pretty well with, you know, things that environmental stressors, they're, they're pretty integrated in their neurodevelopment, they will become dysregulated. So sure. it, is, it is about us really recognizing how we deal with our stressors, what the triggers are that we're getting, and, and really recognizing stress as it walks through the door. And recognizing if, if a child walks through the door and, you know, they're in that protection place and they don't say good morning to me, I don't take that personally. And I don't say, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder what's wrong with that kid. Maybe we look at, look at the child through empathy and compassion and, and perspective taking and say, I wonder what's happening to yeah. that, that child. And when we do that, I, I think that's when the magic happens because I think that kids don't care what we know until they know we care. And I totally I agree. I think yeah. that's the most important thing that we can, we, can, um, we can share with children is that I care about you and I see you. And, mm. you know, if they come in crying, we don't tell them it's not time to cry. You know, we don't have time to cry right now. You know, we honor that they're crying. And I, sometimes I cry too. What do we and need we, to Yeah, do? we need yeah. to take what time we to do? cry so we can move through right. it. We can't just brush right. it under the carpet. That's and I, right. I think that, um, you know, again, you've hit on, you know, so, some incredible uh, points here. And 
I think that, you know, I've also done a lot of mindfulness work in schools. And I think that we don't stop as, you know, teachers, because we're not always given the opportunity to know that we can to notice our children, notice the students. You know, little Johnny may have thrown his pencil across the room yesterday. That doesn't mean he's coming in to do it again today. You know, every moment is a new moment with each student. And every student arrives with their own backpack, just like we do, right? And we get to have do-overs, right? We get to have a do-over. We have to. And and maybe we can see behaviors as a call for, I need something, instead of, you know, defining children based on the behavior that we see. And I think that also means that we need to step outside of our authority. And so when we are working as educators or as, you know, when we're parenting, it's not something we do to kids and it's not something we do for kids. It's something we do with children. Right. We are, we're, we're working with them. So, you know, we know that dysregulated children who have difficulty with, with authority um, are, are not going to uh, respond. They're going to react. And so if we can, we can uh, partner, be thought partners with our children. And, and that shows that we really honor their, their part in, in, in the growing. And I think that's just very different than what, what I was, how I was raised as a child and even how I, how I raised my kids, you know, early on before I knew what I know now. Right. You can do better when you know more, you know, when you know better, you do better. Uh, But I think that's the hope. Yeah. But I think, I think one of the things that I love, the question I love to, to pose to parents, educators, et cetera, anybody in the life of a child is what does my child or this child need from me right now? How can I show up for this child? Because oftentimes, you know, what people think is, you know, dysregulated behavior, poor behavior, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. And I'm putting those in air quotes because I don't like those labels. Right, Um, right. You know, we we think that they're doing something to us sometimes. And I know parents listening, you may feel that way. I know when my kids were little, I felt that way. Why do you have to ruin the day or something like that, you know? Yeah. And yet when our children are acting in ways that we may not be celebrating, they are in need of something. And sometimes Absolutely. it's just attention or love or caring or support, you know, right. as you so beautifully said, you know, really noticing who these right. students are, who these children are. And I love, you know, L. Arnos talks about uh, the three things our kids need and the three things they're asking all day long, silently do you hear me? Do you see me? And do I matter? And when we really think about those three things and every child walking on this earth saying, you know, do you see me? Do you hear me? And do I matter? Right. That's filling their cup up by hearing them and making sure they know they do matter every day. Right. I couldn't agree more. And I think the message that, you know, when I work with educators, um, is to help them care more about the kids they teach than the things they're passionate about teaching the kids, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and, I, and, and being able to really identify yourself as a teacher of humans and not a teacher of a subject or a grade level or, you know, identifying curriculum. with a curriculum that, you know, I don't, I, I think about this at 53 I, and I know I can close my eyes and I can think of teachers, beloved teachers. I can bring them to my mind. I can remember how old I was and I can mm-hmm. remember why I loved that grade or that subject. And it wasn't because of, you know, that this person was a tremendous algebra teacher. 
it was because that person saw me and, and breathed belief into me. And I can also remember just as vividly teachers or coaches in my past who I would do anything in the world not to be in their class or to leave, leave that sport because I, I didn't feel supported, cared for, or that I mattered. Yeah. So that's the legacy. I think that we, as educators, all of us, and as parents need to really give ourselves a bit of a break and really settle into that um, obnoxious phrase of self-care, but it is so important for us to take care of ourselves so we can take care of the people around us, our family, our children, our students. Um, sure. if we're in, you know, we, yeah. we can't do that well if we don't take care of ourselves. And, and that's why it's so important to, for adults to practice um, self-care. And if mindfulness fits into that, um, it's a beautiful way to cultivate, you know, present moment awareness and just For taking sure. a moment. I was having lunch just before I came on this podcast with you and I'm, I was sitting outside on my deck and I, uh, we live in the woods and the trees are, there's just enough of a breeze that the trees are starting to, you know, de-leaf mm-hmm. and they were making, making the most miraculous sound. It was just so beautiful. And if I'd had more time and I didn't, um, but if I'd had more time, the thing I really wanted most was to go down and stand underneath the the trees and just let the leaves just filter down around me and just Mm. be part of that beautiful. And that's not something we do very often because I think we are as a culture, very wrapped up in human doingness Mm -hmm. and not as much in the human beingness. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely. And I think part of our self care, which is not selfish, but selfless is about just being more in our being state, staring out the window, right. going outside, you know, sitting by a tree, watching the sun come up, which I do right. almost every morning. I watch it's the sun. It's the biggest come up. gift. It's, it's the, the biggest, biggest gift. gift. So all of our yeah. listeners, challenge yourself. If you don't do something really, you know, oriented around filling your cup and making you feel, you know, warm and tingly inside by connecting with something external in your being state. You don't have to do something. You don't have to cross it off your to-do list, but just being in a space and observing or taking in what's around you and see how it shifts your energy and your, your thought process and just everything about you. So we challenge you with that. And at the same time, (laughs) I'd love to, um, to tell our listeners a little bit about your books. So you're the author of some days I flip my lid and some nights I flip my lid. Learning yes. to be a calm, cool kid. I've read it. Fabulous book. Thank and, you. Um, and I know you're coming out with another book that yes. will be released in November. Yes. Uh, is that called Some Days I Breathe on Purpose? Correct. It is. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm just so blessed uh, to be working with uh, my publisher, Linda Jackson, out of um, Wisconsin. She's the, uh, the publisher and, and um, leader of the publishing team for PESI, P-E-S-I. It's a behavioral uh, mental health company. And, you know, this book, um, Sue sat the first one, Some Days I Flip My Lid, uh, sat in a shoebox. My son, I, I, I want to tell your listeners that my, my son is now 23 years old. He's six foot two and 260 pounds, and he owns his own landscaping business, and he drives dump trucks, and he is one of the most um, amazing young men I have ever 
been uh, privileged to, to know, and I'm so glad he picked me to be his mom. Um, <laughs> he has huge feet. Um, and when he lived here, he just bought his first house. But when he lived here, even in high school, he had big, big feet and he had, um, they were big, big work boots and they were size 13. And I saved the box. I don't know why, but um, I had written this book because I was in schools and um, around the state of Maine teaching kids about flipping their lid and teaching them agency over their emotions and helping them know that they are so much more than the sum of their emotions. And an educator one day said, I wish you'd write this down. I wish you would, you know, um, I wish you'd write a book. And I said, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an author. I'm not a book writer. Um, and I, and I didn't, I didn't think about it for a long time. And then one day I just thought, hmm, I, I wonder if I do have a book. And I took a writing course for, through the University of Maine. And I um, I was just really curious about it. I, I wanted to know more about it. And, and so I started penning um, this story. And I took it to a local publisher here in, in Maine. And, um, and she said, Kelly Doyle Bailey, I have to tell you something. You have tried in this one book to, um, to write 16 books. She said, I, I think you've got something here. There's a concept, but um, you need to, to find that nugget, that one thing, that one thing, mm -hmm. and, and then write that story. So I say that because I was in a classroom, a third, third grade classroom, and I was working with, with this team of, of kids and, and the teacher. And I was talking about flipping your lid and, and losing your cool. And again, demonstrating the hambrain model. And this little boy who really identified himself as an angry person, um, he said, I'm an angry person. My dad's angry. My father's, I mean, my grandfather's angry. We're all angry people in my house, Mrs. Bailey. And I don't like my amygdala and I don't like it when I flip my lid. Can I just take it out? Can I just take that part out? Mm. And I said, oh man, you know, I, I just want to tell you how important, uh, how important that amygdala is, how important your, your protecting brain is. And he said, but Mrs. Bailey, why do I, why do we flip my, why do I flip my lid? And I said, you know, buddy, some days we all just flip our lids. And I was completely inspired and went home and I took that, that manuscript with all the, the thoughts and feelings that I had initially. And I started writing some days I flipped my lid. It went through 18 rewrites and then mm -hmm. I had not a clue what I was going to do with it. And I stuck it back in the shoebox and it sat mm -hmm. there for about three years. <laughs> and then I met Linda um, at, through an, another person. Through I was going to start working for PESI as a consultant uh, doing um, trainings across the country. And they said, do you have any workbooks or any, you know, anything that, um, that can go along with, with the work that you will be teaching uh, other professionals? I said, no, but I have a children's book. And they said, well, where is it? And I said, it's in a shoebox <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> So we pulled it out and dusted it off. And I had really forgotten about it. Um, I was waiting for my daughter, who is the illustrator of these books, Hannah Bailey. She is um, an art teacher, a middle school art teacher here in Maine. And I was waiting for her to finish her art program. Um, and I wanted her to illustrate the book. And I was really just going to um, take it to Staples or somewhere and have it, you know, just put it together as a, a, flip, part, a flip chart sort of thing and just use it as a teaching tool. Mm -hmm. And I had no concept or idea that it would ever be published, nor did I think that it would sell 20,000 copies in the first 10 months that it was released, nor did I think that it would lead to a sequel and now a series. Mm -hmm. I'm so blessed. Um, readers across the country have reached out to me and said, 
I wish I had known when I, my kids were little or, you know, they're using these books with their grandchildren or they're using their, these books with their, with their child care um, or they're, you know, in, in whatever capacity they're teaching. And, and so many people said, I wished I had known because really the foundation of the book um, is, is knowing that we all can be calm and cool. You know, and I'm and I'm not trying to suggest that that this is a replacement for anything um, that a professional, a medical professional, or a mental health professional. You know, if you if 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 folks need to go and you know that need that level of support, this is not meant to replace or, but it's it is meant to you know provide you with with a measure of of um, to supplement that and to just bring an awareness about how important it is to teach children on purpose, social, emotional learning. What I mean by that is where, what emotion am I feeling? Where does that feeling live inside my body and letting it sit there for as long as it needs to, until it's no longer serving me in any purposeful, good way and giving me skills to know I can shift it if I want to. And that's Mm. just really powerful. It's really powerful. And crucial. So and crucial. And crucial. And it's yeah, as for crucial sure. for adults as it is. I mean, I, I tell you, Sue, before I popped on this podcast, I sat with one hand on my heart and one hand on my belly. And I took three slow, deep breaths because I've never done a podcast with you before. I wasn't sure. I could feel my heart beating a little bit. I could feel my throat getting a little dry. And we need to do the work. And it's, it's beautiful. We need to do the work first. We cannot help children co-regulate if we don't know how to be regulated. Beautiful. And, and you know what, hand on heart every day. Absolutely. Practice. I, I also, I also use that practice just to center myself Mm -hmm. and it's, it's such a beautiful thing. And not only that, I have to share this to be aware that your heart is beating is something, I mean, we take it for granted. So I love the hand on, on heart as a way to just remind ourselves, our heart is beating. How lucky are we that we have a beating heart in this world, especially? Don't even really, you know, right. We, we have no sense of knowing until we actually know. And, and giving just a, we can go a little smidge further by giving a little nod of gratitude. Thank you, heart, for beating with, you know, working with all the systems of my body so that I get to be alive and I get to do this day. And I think that that's another piece to this, right? It's that intentionality of my language. It's my mindset of gratitude. You Mm -hmm. know, it it doesn't have to be anything really significant or big. It can just be before I swing my feet out and put my feet on the floor to do my day, just giving myself a second to breathe, take three slow, deep breaths, just maybe name two or three things to be grateful for. And if you start with your own beating heart, I mean, how can, how can we, how can we not be grateful for that? And to say, instead of, oh man, I have to get through this day, just a small shift. Thank you for, I get to do this day Mm -hmm. and maybe even stretch it a bit further. And when you go into start your morning routine, do it in such a way that you're really present with it. So, because we know the mind wanders so significantly, it, it can go be out of the station and all the way down the train track. And it can take us places that we don't want to be necessarily, but if we're not cognizant of that mind wandering, then we can't stop it. Right. You know, brain science says that 47% of the time that we're awake, we're engaged in a thought, mm-hmm. having a memory or making a plan. And if half the time we're awake, we're actually either in the past or worrying about something that's going to happen or may not happen, 
we are not present in our life. No, and it can long time zone. <laughs> so much angst, right? And think yeah. of the stress that we're under, even, you know, just COVID itself yeah. has been such a stressful time. So if we can do one small thing for ourselves by watching the leaves or feeling our heartbeat and just saying, I get to do this day and have a, a little bit of gratitude for that. It's a, a gift we give ourselves. For sure. And words are powerful. So shift your energy with the own language that you use with and for yourself. They're so powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it has been just, uh, you and I could talk for hours, right? And we've I never met so. before. So isn't this a beautiful thing? Uh, another wonderful gift that I'm grateful for. So to our listeners, uh, where can they find your books? Yeah, so our books can be found easily um, on Amazon. And mm -hmm. if you want to know more about us, we have an, I have an author page on there, Kelly Doyle Bailey. Um, Hannah Bailey is, like I said, my beautiful illustrator. Um, they also can be purchased um, through PESI, uh, through PESI Publishing. So PESI, mm -hmm. P-E-S-I.com. Uh, Barnes & Noble across the country has them. Um, all bookstores actually have them in their distribution. If they're not on the shelves, you can go in and request them. And if you like to support your local bookstores, which I really love for folks to do that, mm -hmm. um, you can go in and just request um, a special order. And any bookstore in your neighborhood, um, in, in your state, will do that for you for free. Um, you can just say, I'm really interested in, in these books for, you know, and they will, they'll, they'll order them for you. Awesome. Kelly, thank yep. you so much for thank being you. here with me and for all you shared awesome. with our listeners. I really appreciate it. I and, really appreciate it as well. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, every moment is a new moment for Conscious Connections. Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.